before the bloodbath begins, slither your way to the host's socials for the podcast slash Twitter at the BHO underscore podcast, Instagram at the Baron's Hideout underscore podcast, to stab to Aaron's accounts, Twitter at double AA row three, and Instagram at double AA row. Find the podcasts on your favorite apps and Patreon. Enjoy the slaying and try to stay alive. For the next period of time, strap in as the hosts rip and tear at the unsuspecting guests, and which the their dark secrets and methods of the genre. In this bloodbath, no one gets out alive. This is within the barracks. Welcome. I'm your host, Dustin. I'm your co-host, Aaron. And today, we are welcoming... Adam Stovall, the director and writer of A Ghost Waits, onto our interview series. Within the Barons. Within the Barons. Adam, thank you for uh, coming on. And, uh, you Thanks know, for having me. Yeah, yeah so thank cool. you. It's, I know we just went through some technical issues, but you know what? That's, it's all for the game, right? We're, <laughs> yeah. we're doing it because we do what we love, so we have to uh, endure on some of these things, unfortunately. Um, but, um, yeah, I just wanted to kind of say... Um, I really enjoyed your your film. Uh, I saw it on Shutter. I know we've said that it was on. Um, it came on Shutter a little less than two months ago. I know that you're also part of um, Arrow Video, which is really really cool. I actually just bought my physical copy of this from Arrow as well. Yay! So uh, that should be coming in hopefully within the next week or so. Um, I've been that trying... Blu-ray is my baby. I'm so proud of it. <laughs> yeah, and, and with all the features and stuff that I was reading, I was like, wow, this is definitely worth like the $28 it's on right now because that, that's so good. I mean, obviously, you can stream it on, on Shutter pretty much for free for like their, their $7 package, but I love getting like, you know, commentary tracks um, as of late. So Just I really want... Tangibility. Yeah, you know? and I like I like I like holding things. I'm a very like um, yeah. uh, physical copy person. Like I buy, you know, finals of movies or any kind of like weird things they have coming out so um, i'm probably going to go and see if there's any other things unless you can tell me if there is any other like little uh things that are uh, connected to a uh, ghost weights i wasn't sure if there was any um you guys had like any soundtracks or anything out like that for the film or if it was just the, the physical of arrow video there there isn't a soundtrack available um there's a merch store Okay. Uh, that you can get like t-shirts and coffee mugs and oh, uh yeah. sweatshirt like hoodies. Um but yeah, n- there's no soundtrack release. Because honestly, like when we made the movie it was so small and I was I was the one putting everything together, um which is why now I tell like whenever I'm asked like do you have advice for aspiring filmmakers like yeah, get a lawyer. Um <laughs> like trust me, you want them negotiating everything because I was asking friends for songs and never secured like soundtrack rights so all right well <laughs> yeah that's actually something i wanted to ask you too because there kind of is like a, a a song that plays throughout the whole movie like kind of periodically so was that something that that you were writing or was it something that mcleod was writing or was it kind of like something that was all together because he was the one who was performing on it uh correct yes yeah, so you're uh it's yellow cotton dress by the band wussy um that's a pre-existing song. It's off their first album, Funeral Dress. I've known Wussy since before they were a band. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. And originally, so the song wasn't supposed to recur. Uh, <laughs> the song played during, like, when he's working on the house. It's just kind of a montage soundtrack. And it was going to be a different song. I'd asked, I'd asked a friend. And he was game, but, like, he never... Uh, he never responded to the emails when I was asking, hey, hey, we need permission. Like, we need you to, like, yeah, yeah. officially say that we have this the, the rights to the song. And he just never responded. And we got through principal photography. We were doing pickups. And that was when we realized that we had to kind of expand on um, his, him singing. Originally, was just, like, making up little songs as he worked around the, uh, around the house. And it wasn't landing for people. So we we're just like, okay, we're going to need to just put a spotlight on him singing for a second and figured out how to make that work with Muriel. 
So that's how that scene where he's playing the song comes about. But of course, if he's playing the song, we really need to have it secured. Exactly. And again, that the previous song, like I never, never got it. So I just messaged my friend, Mark Messerly, who's in Wussy, like, Hey, can, can we use a Wussy song? And 15 minutes later, he was like, yep. Talk to Chuck and Lisa. It's good. Awesome. Um, and that's, you know, it was, and I, I just always loved Yellow Cotton Dress and it, it worked so well for the movie. So McLeod and I went out to a pawn, stop, pawn shop and bought a guitar so he could <laughs> learn to play it so that he could play it in the movie. Yeah. That's awesome. I do like that song too. And I need to go check out some of the other stuff they have on there because it's just really catchy. And I feel like it really kind of helps tell the story of this film too, but you know, what, what the song is pretty much about and whatnot. Cause it's this movie, um, you know, as everybody's saying online, is is like a romantic comedy mixed with horror, and yeah, that's exactly what it is. And it's it's telling a love story, a very unconditional and untraditional love story. Because I mean, do you ever hear anybody say, "Yeah, I I am in love with a ghost," and you know, and I, and I want to be with that ghost? You don't really hear or even see movies that kind of tell a story like this. So I I have to, you know, praise you for doing something that is very different. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, there's a there's a movie called The Ghost and Mrs. Muir, well, Muir, M-U-I-R, um, where the lady moves into a house and the ghost of like an old sea captain like lived there and died there and it haunts it. And they strike up a relationship and he basically just waits for her to die of natural causes. Um, but yeah, in the, in the writing of this, like, and I don't know if, if we're going to get into spoilers or not, but like. Yeah, the, we can do whatever the, you want. It's, it's yeah, your movie, the, so if you want to do some spoilers, <laughs> let's do it. I'm, I'm sure yeah, everyone's I'm seen it at this point, so. <laughs> right. Um, no, like the ending, I've, I've been asked a few times now if I was ever worried about the response to the ending, and I wasn't. Uh, partially because it's a movie and the metaphor, like he's basically moving to Denver for a girl. Um, because that's the thing of like, if you're telling a ghost story, the tacit implication is that there's an afterlife. Exactly. So, yeah. But it was a thing that I hadn't seen. And I myself have struggled with depression and suicidal ideation in my life. So it was, that was actually what I was wanting to do with the movie was talk about my experience of depression and suicidal ideation, because I'd never seen it represented in film. It's always like, bipolar disorder or uh, manic depression where it's very dramatic and it's a very external representation of an internal process whereas like to me depression is just like wallpaper that like tells you you don't deserve a house (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah. i've I've definitely gone through my spells of depression aaron i know you you kind of um struggle with my whole life (laughs) yeah you, you you're taking a lot of things for it right now and um I always thank you for coming over here and doing this podcast because I know it's a lot. Aaron's got like um he's got a little bit of social anxiety, so doing this sometimes is a, a bit, bit. <laughs> it's a little bit hard for him. Oh, but um, I feel he's, yeah. he's gotten so much better, and I feel like this podcast has actually really helped you kind of build yourself too, a little bit, which is really definitely. cool. And also being able to talk to you know people like you, Adam, that are, that are making movies and things that we watch that we that we love is it's always like a boost too, of um you know being um out of the norm because when you're doing the same thing every single day obviously depression and, you know all those thoughts that you have of like um suicide or anything like that you know can be a bit um daunting but once you start breaking right. out and doing something that's a little bit different um you know like a podcast or making music or directing a movie you know it, it can definitely um help you break out of that so my my late 20s i had a pretty severe depression in the last four years of my 20s and the the thing that finally got me on the path to getting out of it is my so my dog died oh, no. 16 years old and it was just me and her in the apartment and oh. like she was old and I would get home from my third shift job and like watch whatever I'd recorded the night before and she would just kind of wander around the apartment or lay in the bed but when I watched Friday Night Lights she would actually get on the couch next to me and like oh. put her head on my leg and watch Friday Night Lights with me and so the first time I watched Friday Night Lights after she died I was I just like felt so alone oh, in no. my one bedroom apartment in Cincinnati that I was like I gotta move or like I don't think I'm gonna make it and so i sold some stuff i moved to los angeles i didn't know anybody um in fact i didn't even have an address to give the movers i was just like just get deli and call me i'll have a place by then but 
uh, once I got to Los Angeles, I was like, well, I'm not going to move 2,500 miles and then stay in my room. That's going to, I'm going to feel pretty stupid if I do that. And like that, like that self-shaming is what got me out of the house. Mm-hmm. And I started uh, volunteering in a, uh, a screening series for Creative Screenwriting Magazine. And I did that for a few months. They asked me, uh, they invited me to write an article. Uh, they were happy with it. And I ended up writing for them for years. And that was kind of the first step of my film education. But it was that thing of like, I kind of had to get out of my head and out of my room. um, And I was engaged with the filmness of it all. I was talking to filmmakers. It was really exciting. And then print died and I went into production. But like even making this movie, I, I had kind of gotten back to a low point um, I was I was feeling like an existential mistake, like I didn't have a place in the world. And it was getting to the point, it was getting really severe. Um, and I, I remember thinking like, I, the only thing I've ever really known is that I want to make a movie. So I need to do that. And um, I know I'm not going to get a lot of money, but like, you can't make that an excuse. It's just yeah. a limitation. Um, and so all I was really worried about was I want to know if I can make a good movie because if I can't, I don't have a backup plan. I had no thought about festivals and uh, distributors and everything else. It was just like, if nothing ever happens, I want to be able to look at it 10 or 20 years later and still be proud of it and know that like I gave it my best shot. Um, And that weirdly like with the stakes being life or death, because I was just like, oh, I'll just take myself off the table if this doesn't work. Um, (laughs) It like, lowered the stakes elsewhere where i was just like no like who cares we're gonna play some jazz and make a movie and like we know we don't have money and we don't we don't have a lot of resources but uh i have great collaborators mcleod andrews is just like a god amongst men um and i had a support network where i was like staying with my dad and editing and i didn't have a job at the time but he was just like it's fine just like edit you're good um yeah, like I always had, it was, it's a remarkable privilege to get to make a movie, but like I had the support network that allowed me to do it um, because I didn't have any of the kind of traditional resources because we made this movie for like $44,000. Oh, okay, that actually just answers our yeah, question. Just, we were going to ask you, <laughs> ask you yeah. what your budget was. But yeah, nowadays that's, that's almost nothing, right? For a movie? Right. Yeah. 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 It's funny because like McLeod has made some movies for like $13,000. And it's like, oh, like you couldn't get your budget down even farther. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> like there's almost no difference. Like the difference is I had to buy some equipment and other people don't. Um, yeah. I had to buy the computer that I edited the movie on that I taught myself to edit on. Uh, I had to buy a camera that <clears throat> I remember our UPM saying like, we should sell that and then we can afford another PA or something. And that camera ended up being how we were able to do the pickups that made the movie what you know what you know the movie that you've seen now as opposed to the much worse version that i saw in the assembly cut and was like oh "Oh, god oh no (laughs) (laughs) but that being said like um so what was your how did your experience differ like playing different roles like throughout like in different projects like going from producing to directing or just acting or like you said doing you were doing you were a journalist for a while you know, seeing like the business from different perspectives, what was it like? Um, it's really, I think it's cool to like, to have a very holistic view of the entire process. Mm-hmm. Starting as a journalist, um, the really cool thing, and I mean, you guys know, you have a podcast, obviously, you talk to filmmakers, like, it's so cool to be able to ask the questions you want to ask like i don't care what it's like to work with george clooney unless i'm working with george clooney yeah. like i don't need to know about like how fun the set was I'm like no like where what was the seed of the idea how do you know when you're finished what's the like you know th- there's so many little details in it um and so many it's it's a horribly inefficient process so it, it was really cool to get to talk to filmmakers and just uh, and dig in because I would do long interviews um, you know getting to talk to Lars von Trier for an hour or Pedro Almodovar for an hour or you know whatever um, and just not worrying about like you do a little bit of research and you see like the stories they've told a million times and you're just like yeah. okay we're not going to go with that like what's um, what have I not heard 
And then moving from that into production, I, I worked, I was a PA on a few TV shows and then uh, I got a job on a feature. It was an independent feature, another no budget film that I was supposed to be like key PA or something. I ended up being the second AD just because oh, wow. like Battlefield Promotions, <laughs> first feature gig. Had never worked on a feature before, <laughs> second AD. So, but that was amazing because that's like a front row seat because uh, you're, you're right there, you're a key element of production, but you're at a slight remove. And so I got to see the, like, I got to see where money goes mm-hmm. and where it goes out of habit versus where it needs to go. And so when it came time for us, for McLeod and me to, to make a Ghost Waits, I remember, be- actually, this was before Ghost Waits. I remember like sitting down with McLeod and having this very like existential conversation about what a movie is. And I was like, it's a scene. It's people to play the scene. It's a place that the scene happens and recording implements to document the playing of said scene. Anything else is indulgence. Yo, yeah. She broke it down to bare bones. Yeah. yeah. It straight to the point. Yeah. Um, because it, it is like, especially as a journalist, you're catching people in a marketing phase. Like they're promoting their film. They've got their stories. And so you get that... Um, you get that version of things. You get that kind of like, oh, we're all done now and it's finished and we know what it is. And now we're going to see if people like it. And then being there during production when it's just like, well, let's like, what the hell? Let's see if this works. <laughs> uh, like it was, it was kind of amazing. And so by the time we got to, you know, set to make a ghost weights and, you know, there was no prep on the movie. We didn't have money for prep. So there was no shot list. There was no table read. There were no rehearsals, like anything. McLeod and Natalie met on set. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, the first thing they ever shot together is the scene where she sings to him at the end. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, we just dove in. Quite a way to meet. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. She, he was, shoot, she got in and had to go right into a makeup test and he was shooting a scene that's no longer in the movie. So like, it was basically like, hi. And then she was 25 feet away while he's talking to a dead dog. Um, <laughs> the movie changed a lot over the years. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it was, especially because this was like such a non-traditional thing, like, you know, every step of it, a lot of friends, a lot of, you know, putting out like, Hey, who wants to be in a haunted house movie? Like for the montage at the end, or, you know, the, the pizza guy, like just putting stuff out on Facebook, like, you know, asking friends, like who's free on this day and wants to be in a haunted house movie. That's awesome. Um, Yeah. You know, and you just kind of stay loose and you're like, all right, well, this is what we got. So let's make it work instead of, Oh, it sucks that we don't have this. It's like, Oh, we don't have lots of things. Yeah. <laughs> and that's kind of like the beauty of um, independent filmmaking is that you're not tethered by all these big wigs and stuff that you can do that type of stuff. I'd be like, Hey, anybody local want to come and do a movie? Like we have um, some people over here that do a lot of like Facebook calls. I'm like, Hey, we're making a movie. We need some extras and it's yep. all low budget indie filmmaking. And it's, I think it's, way better but it gives it a lot of charm you know it does like i like big movies don't get me wrong i like movies that cost a lot of money i think we all do sure. but i've always had a really really soft spot for indie filmmaking because they always go in directions that these big companies are so afraid to go in and a ghost yeah. of, a ghost weights is definitely um <laughs> one of those i don't think a, a big um company would have been like hey let's make this movie i, I don't oh think no this like definitely would not have happened no, if, if there's a company involved, there's no way that ending survives. No. Like, um, no, and like, I remember saying to McLeod at one point, instead of lamenting that we don't have more money, like, if you have a small budget, it makes it easier to recoup it. So instead yeah. of having to worry about the four quadrants, you can worry about two or one, or as I like to say, we made a movie for nine people. Um, <laughs> you know, it turns out it's more than nine, but like, I, I just said, I was like, let's make something that's as specific as possible because that's what you have. Like when you don't have money and you don't have resources and you don't have the support that a studio or a company uh, gives you, what you have are your instincts and your flexibility. Yep. And you can be, you can say something like, this is a very honest, very personal, you know, story, but like, and it's, it's why I never worried about 
how people would interpret the ending is because it's like, well, I stand behind what I said. Like it's, it's a very honest thing. And I know that like, I'm not, I don't want to, I'm not a provocateur, you know, I don't want to say anything to shock people, but I also think that like, we need to get better at having difficult conversations. I agree. 100%. Yeah. Um, And that scares the living shit out of marketing departments. Yep. So you don't get to do that if you're trying, if you have to recoup a hundred million dollars, obviously, but you know, if you make a movie for less than the cost of a Mercedes, you can pretty much do whatever you want. <laughs> exactly. And that's another thing I wanted to ask too, is because I love black and white films. So um, yeah, me too. <laughs> was there a reason that you guys wanted to go black and white? Was it because of the budget or was it to do with, you know, enhancing how the makeup looks or was it just because you're like, hey, let's just do a black and white film because I think this would be awesome? Honestly, the last one, like, <laughs> I, in prep, I remember saying at one point, like, I think I'd like to make this black and white. Because I also just, I love the black and white aesthetic. And my UPM said, no, absolutely not. <laughs> For good reason. Because, like, it's a really hard sell. Black and white's a really hard sell. We got a lot of no's from festivals and distributors just oh, because really? it's black and white yeah wow, i'm surprised yeah. by that Our festivals so, wow yep yep so we shot it in color and we had a plan for uh the ghost makeup to apply some effects in after effects i think i still have the test image on my computer somewhere but the plan was to do it in color but then because like we did principal photography over 12 days in august 2016 and then we did four days of pickups in April, 2017 and four days of pickups in February, 2018. And Mike Potter shot principal photography, but I shot the pickups and he had a minimal lighting rig. I was shooting available light almost every scene. The only scene that's not available light is the second dream where, uh, bartender McLeod and Jack. uh, Thank you. Um, (laughs) that was the last thing we shot (laughs) in the movie. Wow. Yeah. I love and that scene. It's I, I really enjoy it too. He's so good. Um, but like, and it's the only special effect in the movie is like the most basic photographic effect in the world. We just, you know, yeah. it's, yeah, it was, it's super fun. Um, but yeah, so we like, we shot all that stuff. And then the, uh, the image wasn't quite as, co- uh, as, as consistent as I wanted it to be. There was slight fluctuations in light and I was in, in color correction. I was trying to match it. I was driving myself crazy. And then one day McLeod was just like, hey, have you thought about making it in black and white? It's like, <laughs> I have. <laughs> um, and so we dropped a black and white LUT on it, which is a color correction algorithm. And the second we saw it in black and white, especially the second we saw Muriel in black and white, it was like, oh, this is the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, because everything pops in this movie in black and white. I mean, I would like to see a colored version too, but we don't we don't need that with this. It's it's perfect the the way it is in black and white. Um, because it's all one location. It's not like it bounced around going to ten million other places, you know, and having to right. readjust certain lighting to to make the the black and white, you know, kind of stand stand out. So I, I think it was a genius idea, kind of going with that. Thank you, a, and, and you know, to your it kind of goes back to your earlier question as well that like you know, what was it like to wear all these different hats in production, you know, whether it's writing, directing, producing, editing, craft services, whatever, <laughs> shooting, uh, like, it never really felt like I was wearing different hats, because everything was in service of the movie. Mm-hmm. And like, that was kind of the biggest, one of the biggest lessons in the whole process was, when you make a movie, the, the movie is the boss. You are not the boss of the movie and the movie will tell you what it needs. You just have to listen. And sometimes that means, you know, people always say like, you have to, you know, kill your babies. Like, you know, you have to get rid of your favorite bits. Like there's yeah. a lot of that, but yeah, a lot of it's just like, but it's it happened a, naturally basically. Yeah. You know, we had some really good ideas that we had to cut because they just didn't fit, you know, that they broke the spell of the movie. So that's that to answer that i i meant to like circle back around to that question like, <laughs> that's like it it was all it, it all just kind of felt like the same hat that's good yeah. that you, you weren't feeling like you were really out of the ordinary when you were kind of going through multiple stages of uh you know production and stuff so that's good oh i mean it's and it, like i definitely felt weird just as a person doing that because <laughs> you know like a i'd never edited anything before i hadn't uh 
I had tried to direct a short film. It fell apart in spectacular fashion. I had tried to direct a music video. It got caught up in a company uh, dissolving. Like, so I had actually never directed uh, a film mm-hmm. of any kind before. I had directed some sketch comedy and a little bit of theater, but um, the, the strongest uh, foundation that I had was writing. And so I just kind of kept going back to writing in my head. I'm like, okay, well, this is the point of the scene. This is the point of the character. So how do we w- convey this? Um, and I remember telling you know, Mike Potter one time, I was like, what, what's like the visual reference for this movie? And I was like, I don't know, scenes from a marriage? Like think <laughs> Ingmar Bergman, because Ingmar Bergman was great at just like dynamic, simple visuals. Um, there's actually my favorite shot in the entire movie. I call it my, the persona shot. It's the <laughs> cloud turns and like Natalie's in profile. And it's, I just, it looks like a shot in persona and I love it to, to death, but uh, yeah, like it, it all kind of came back to just like simplicity, simplicity, simplicity. Like let's not dress everything up because like I watch a lot of movies and especially like modern American independent films. I feel like you can see the movies they wish they were making. Yeah. There's just constant references. And uh, my rule is never re- never remind the audience they could be watching a better movie. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's one way to do it. That's that's yeah. that's good marketing right there. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it, it was just like, let's do something that doesn't exist because we may, you know, I'll probably never get to make another black and white movie. I'll probably never get to make to end the movie. Like just there's so many things that I'll never get to do again. So it's like, well, let's not waste the one time, yeah. we, just like go one for chance it. we have to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just throw it all at it. Um, do you have any other projects that are in the works right now uh, that, that you, you either want to work on or are being worked on? Uh, I'm finishing up a script uh, right now that has some interest, has like some real companies interested in it, which is uh, daunting. Um, <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> Yeah, typically it's like I was just like writing shit in my room and then I'll send it to some friends. And, you know, I mean, sometimes it ends up being a movie, but like this is the first time and we're being very deliberate with it. We're trying to learn all the apply all the lessons we learned on a ghost weights because it's good. Like it's the best idea I've ever had. It's a time travel road disaster movie. Ooh, that sounds really interesting. It's and it's yeah, I I really I've, I've really enjoyed writing it. And as we get farther along in that process and get closer to the day when we go out to these companies or send it to these companies, I'm also preparing like how I will direct it because a ghost waits. It's a miracle. The movie works. Like I did not know what I was doing, (laughs) but like I trusted my collaborators and I listened to the film. And with this, you can't really go into meetings as like, a potentially second time director like yeah. <laughs> oh like i don't really know but we'll find it like all he hears is just like you're getting this kid's gonna get run over like everybody's <laughs> just gonna you know control him so i am now like this is the visual texture of the film these are the tonal references like this is what we're going with i'm learning how to speak that mm-hmm. language which is not a thing that i do naturally mm-hmm. you're always learning and, and that's that's good you know yeah especially with you wanting to do more projects and stuff uh, the more knowledge you have, the more you know people are going to pick you up, and I can't wait to see this this next feature that you're that you're teasing right now. <laughs> <laughs> I know I'm. Oh if, we, if we get to make it, it's gonna. I I just hope I don't screw it up. <laughs> oh, no, I, don't, I don't think you will at all. I, I really don't think you will. <laughs> but you kind of mentioned that you always had like um like this desire to be in film and you know be a filmmaker. Is there any like uh, particular movies you saw growing up that you, um, you know, that just confirmed it for you? You're like, I just, I want to make movies. Yeah. The first one that really did that was Back to the Future. Oh, uh, yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. I, I have a very clear memory of being a very small child in the basement of our, of our home, watching the network premiere of Back to the Future, during which they were going to show the first like footage from Back to the Future 2. And I oh, had yeah. my little Back to the Future storybook and a little Chef Boyardee pizza. And I was just like, <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, you know, like it was very, it was very clear very early that I loved movies. So my parents, and my parents love movies as well. So it's like, you know, yeah, show the, show the boy Jaws. Um, yeah. That, and so, and I would just like, 
there for a while i would see like backdraft and want to be a firefighter and you're like, you see <laughs> navy seals you want to be a navy seal at some point you're like i think i just want to make movies i don't think i actually want to do any of these jobs yeah. um and then when i was a teenager two movies really uh mash which is over my shoulder my dad showed it to me and i honestly think it like when i when i think like what is cinema to me it's mash I've heard a lot of people talk about MASH lately. I've been seeing that pop up everywhere. And yeah. I don't think I've seen it, but for the, the, a lot of the people that I see online and like um, friend circles talking about it, for some reason it's popping up a lot and I need to go and watch MASH. I love, I love the idea it. that MASH is having a moment. Good! <laughs> um, but the other one was, I was, uh, I think I was 16 years old or maybe I was 15 and I was helping my dad's friend move into a house it was my dad and me had gone down to help him. And so we, we moved and then they would always like go to dinner and see a movie. Uh, and so we're, we're sitting at like an Applebee's in Mount Sterling, Kentucky. And my dad's friend, Jerry has the paper and it's like, um, Oh, I've heard Pulp Fiction is good. Do you want to see that? And so oh, that, yes. Pulp Fiction blew my mind when I saw it. Like the second it was over, I just turned around to them like again, again, <laughs> And I think like it's probably still the movie I've seen the second most in my life because I've seen a Ghost Waits entirely too many times. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, Pulp Fiction like that was the one that was just like oh, cinema's like a lot more elastic than I thought. Like mm-hmm. you can do all kinds of crazy shit in this. Like I want to I want to do that, <clears throat> and I, I do. I got to thank Quentin Tarantino one one day. Like you set me on this path. That's awesome. Uh, yeah. Um, Did you have any more? I have a yeah, bunch. I'm just making sure Aaron's going through all his questions. Not actually, that one kind of actually mine. Oh, um, there you go. I, lo- <laughs> I love when that happens. When you just ask one question and you can mark off all these other ones you have on your list. Like, okay, that one's good. Um, if you haven't noticed, I'm a bit of a talker, so that no, one, that, oh, that's, that's awesome. That's <laughs> I, I like to let our guests just kind of like ramble on, so because we learn so much more. Because like we have these questions, right? But sometimes right. they're just. I don't know. They're very, very basic. So when you when you can elaborate on like so many other things, it really like helps us understand you and and what you do, um, even more. Um, I do have one question because uh, this movie kind of has a lot of tricky shots in it. I feel especially when we when we talk about like the kitchen scene, um, like when he first um sees Muriel and like all the cabinets are opening and closing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I wanted to ask you, what was the trickiest shot that you had to film? Uh, would it be the pro- kitchen scene? I feel like it's probably that one, but maybe not. That wasn't all that tricky. Like a lot of it is just you place the camera, like specifically to that, because that's such a like horror trope. Yeah. You know? Like, um, I think I think it's like a Paranormal Activity three that has a really good one of them. Yeah, one of those mm-hmm. with the the camera on the oscillating fan base. Um, and so it was just because McLeod, like I, I can kind of get lost in the characters, and McLeod would be like, "Hey, remember we're making a horror movie? Like <laughs> we should have some horror beats." And so that's just like you set the camera, uh, you record the cabinets, you have McLeod walk in, walk out, and then open up everything, and then have him, you know, play that. The the tr- one of the really tricky ones. Hmm. There's probably a few as far as like what I shot. The, the 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 second dream the bar center yeah. scene because it's a very simple effect you know like you just shoot it and then you splice it and overlay you know you yeah. leave the camera running basically you set it up and that's why there's no available lights in that shot is because any fluctuation in light stands out when you're kind of doing a split screen yeah so we had to cover anything and then and and then light it with just like work lamps essentially that we got from home depot uh but then i am his double so i'm not even looking at the footage i am playing his double so that he has somebody to to play off of and i'm a couple inches taller than mcleod so i'm like 
I, I'm, I'm hunching down just a little bit to be like perfect <laughs> eye level. And I had to like remember lines and also just like make sure that the focus was locked. And, you know, you have like a few things. I, I, I don't think I will ever star in a movie that I direct. I don't understand. <laughs> uh, it's too much. It's too many headaches at once. But um, that one, we did a few takes of that just to just to really because you also had to time it just right. You know, like I yeah. had to match his rhythms um, because he's talking to himself. So you can't like there was no ear, but, you know, can't put like a little earbud in or whatever and mm-hmm. like have, play, have that playback. Like we're doing it all live. So that that was that was tricky. That was and because it was the last day, like uh, we had tried to shoot it. We were going to shoot the night before and it started storming in Cincinnati oh, and no. it's an unfinished attic. So it was very loud. Uh, the the rain and so we checked the weather and it was going to stop overnight so we came back at like six in the morning because he had a flight back to LA that morning and like we're like we have to get this like the, like this literally this movie, this scene has to exist to, to get us this information and uh, which is actually a really good test you know if you're like if you want to make a movie, like go through the script and like would you wake up at six a.m. to shoot this scene? <laughs> yeah, uh, that's a good one. Yeah, that was so that was tricky. Um, I didn't shoot it, but one that was really tough to get um, is when uh, Rosie and Muriel come back and start messing with Jack, but it soon turns on Rosie. And that scene was tricky start to finish like writing it i i i i I had to work really hard to get the turns in and i i don't know that i ever like really landed everything as as well as i wanted to but you know it it got there enough that the scene worked and then shooting it there was like one element of okay this is a two shot because we're presenting as they're getting up on him but then it has to go into one shots and our close-ups because they're on their own and we have to visually represent that they're on their own. And these two are, are teaming up and isolating her and you're just shooting all, all these, and you're, you know, you're shooting like each character and then like a, a, a master. And it was, and I remember like Mike was just like wearing himself out shooting it because <laughs> it was all handheld and he had his oh, fourth yeah. day. And like that one was just, it was so tricky um to just get every single element to line up yeah that sounds uh, like it was a headache oh man yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's a great scene but just hearing like the behind the scenes on that wow yeah it just makes it's, you appreciate it that much more the effort that went into it yeah <laughs> yeah i mean especially on movies i mean like people work really hard on big movies but on a movie this size you know when you have like a crew of four most days mm-hmm you know everybody's doing multiple jobs yeah that's that's yeah (laughs) you know and like mcleod is wonderful he can kind of switch between actor and producer mode um you know where he'll like help put up a c-stand and uh and like you know bring coffee and then act in a scene um the only time i i told told him he couldn't do that was the scene after uh after they they drive rosie away and then they kind of have feelings at each other. Yeah. Um, that was the only one where I told McLeod, like, I need you to not produce today. Like, just, I, th- this is the headspace you need to be in. Protect that. Like, just, just be an actor today. Um, but any other time he was doing everything. We, you know, and uh, yeah, <laughs> Mike was camera and uh grip department (laughs) jim did sound like he did not have a secondary like mike didn't have a secondary most days we didn't have a pa the first half of the shoot we didn't have our upm slash first ad um like most days it was madeline makeup mike camera jim sound and me wow and then whoever was acting that day (laughs) Yeah. yeah I mean, um, McLeod does such a great job, too, because, like, the first, like, half of, well, maybe not half, but, like, pretty close to it is, like, it's all pretty much him alone and, you know, talking to himself. Like, yeah, we, we have, like, this um, this feeling of, like, there's something else there. We were already introduced to what the something else was, 
but he hasn't seen uh, Muriel at this point, and he has to do all these things by himself. Very, very good acting on everybody in this uh, in this film, especially him with having to hold all the scenes uh, by himself uh, for mo- most of the of the time is um, very, very um, important. I feel in in acting now, especially if he goes on to make um other films when they can see that someone can hold their own because you don't have the other person to bounce yeah, off of. if you can do a solo performance i feel like that is so important um in in acting and maybe even like any other like um um parts of, of filming of being able to do something on your own and be able to carry it and make the uh the film still um you know have momentum because it doesn't drop out at all I was reading some reviews of people saying, oh, the momentum's like all over the place. I don't agree on that at all. I think that it, it once it starts, it just keeps going up until you get to the very end and you're just like, this was a ride. And um, <laughs> and it was a good ride and I enjoyed the hell out of it. Uh, so, yeah, I really want uh, want him to know and for you to know and everybody else on the crew that, that everybody did such a great job on this film. But it's I've watched it on Shudder like three or four times um, and I'm probably going to watch it again very soon especially once my physical comes in yeah see all the sweet uh all the sweet featurettes no like oh, yeah. mcleod is amazing like he's just an amazing actor um and we lived together for a while in santa monica and I like one time we were going we were working on his reel so we're watching everything that he's done to like oh let's pull that scene and because he's so good he was often asked to play characters who were either going crazy or had gone crazy. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I won't, and when you're watching them just like back to back to back, it's like, dude, you're really good, but like, come on. I want, like, I want to see you fall <laughs> in love and save the world. Like you can do all this other stuff. And so once this became like a viable project where, cause we had tried to make another movie and couldn't get it off the ground. So once we had a budget and I was like, oh, this is going to happen. We got the budget before I had a finished script. So I very much wrote Jack for McLeod and Jack is pretty much a mixture of McLeod and me. Um, Yeah. Like, and then, uh, and with, with Sydney, with Natalie, you know, with, with everybody else that we brought in, it was kind it was always like, I would send them the script and just, like, let's not talk about the script. Let's talk about the character, you know, and I would just ask them questions. What kind of music do you think they listen to? How do you think they react to a car wreck? Like, just things where, because I think the job, like the, the actor's job is to know the character better than I do, because if the movie goes anywhere, they're going to be far more associated with the character than I ever will be. So, yeah. like, they need to have it in their bones. But if they have it in their bones, it also is going to make things easier on set, because... Uh, there's this idea of like do a take for you and a take for me but if we're on the same page as far as the character every take is for us yeah and you can play and you kind of open yourself up to the little miracles that like really give the give a scene a spark yeah i agree on that a lot it all comes down to communication yeah yep and since this is a horror film um were you always into horror? Was that a, a genre growing up that you you were fond of? I know you were talking about you know, like Back to the Future and Pulp Fiction, which those are more like action adventure sci-fi and just batshit crazy films. Yeah. Um, but yeah, have you ever uh, really went into the horror genre at all? When I was a kid, I dug Nightmare on Elm Street, and that and I I watched uh, on Friday nights. There would be monsters, and then. Nightmare Cafe or Friday the 13th the series or Tales from the Crypt and Tales from the Dark Side, not like those kind of shows would air yeah. late Fridays. But that was kind of the extent of it. I didn't really grow up a horror kid. I was much more of a comedy kid. Okay. Um, and then in my 30s, I would visit my sister and her then husband. And he was a big horror kid. So I would visit and he's like, it's stupid that you've never seen Sisters. <laughs> um, and so like every time I would visit there would be movies to watch and doing that it's like oh man there's so much more to this genre than I thought um, you know and I started going to like Exhumed Fest with him which is this like 24 hour horror and exploitation marathon in uh, Philadelphia um, and just yeah you kind of open yourself up and you I think it's I, I was telling a friend the other day 
horror is kind of like stand-up comedy. You know, if yeah. you love stand-up comedy, there's something about the rhythm that that gets you. And even bad stand-up you can enjoy because it is the rhythm of stand-up. I think horror fans love the trappings of horror, but they also love the, the community uh, around horror is so warm and welcoming because it is like a nest of outsiders. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's a <laughs> bunch of people who grew up being told they were weird because their black t-shirt had a skull giving side eye. And then finally <laughs> someday somebody was like, shop smart, shop S smart. And they're like, I'm not alone. Thank you. <laughs> yes. You know, so we all just kind of ride or die for this stuff because it made us feel less alone. Uh, which is the best thing you can do. So yeah, like I, I came to horror late, but I, I've been working, I've been trying to catch up. I've, I've it's, it's watching a lot, lot of it. <laughs> it's a lot. Yeah. Aaron, um, I know we said on the show multiple times, but this to let you know is that Aaron, he likes horror. I'm like the more like, I'm like rooted in, in, in horror. I mean, I was scared as a child. Like I didn't start breaking out of my shell until about like, 15, 16, are really trying to embrace all these uh, these scary movies. I couldn't go into haunted houses um, from like the age of like eight to fourteen. I I couldn't yeah. do it. I was nope, nope. nope. I'd cry. Uh, I could barely watch any horror movies. But once I started really um, diving into it, I fell in love with it because, um, like you're saying, it is very welcoming, especially now with like all the social media and even like yeah. you know friends groups that are maybe in your neighborhood. Because um, we there are some like local gatherings of people who do. Like um um there's like movie nights and stuff like that that's really really cool that's local to us okay. that I used to attend and um they would always show things I've never seen I was like wow this is awesome and and I love comedy too and horror and comedy have always been you know buddies because they they kind of thrive off the same thing like you were yeah. just saying um and yeah I just kind of fell in love with that and then um one day I was like Aaron do you want to do a show where you can <laughs> watch a lot more horror movies and talk about it I was like yeah dude. So here we are, and um, we just started recently doing interviews. Was it been like about three months now? So we've been starting to dive into doing a lot of uh, in- interviews with, you know, um, either other podcasters, directors, actors, whoever it may be. And it was awesome, you know, having you on and kind of talking about your whole career and seeing where you're where you're at now, and um, letting you know that you did make a very good movie. And if somebody oh. says otherwise, um, they're lying. <laughs> they're lying. Thank it's you very much. A great I- film. I appreciate that. You know, it like it's not going to work for everybody, but it doesn't need to. And like, no movie works for everybody. So, I I always say, you know, especially if I I meet someone, they're like, "Oh, I'm going to watch a movie." It's like, I hope you like it. It's okay if you don't, but I hope yeah. you do. You know, it's just, uh, you know, we've been we've been extraordinarily lucky. I feel, and we worked really hard. But like, you know, it's that saying of like, uh, luck is preparation meeting opportunity. Um. You know, like the harder I work, the luckier I get. Like, but I also know plenty of people who work really hard and never get the the opportunities that I've gotten. Exactly. So I'm very appreciative of that, and uh, don't take it for granted at all. Um, no, like I mean, so, like we I was I'm, earlier, like talking about the the era of physical release. Like, we got acquired towards the end of 2020, so I was still stuck inside. And I had I, my job went away because I used to direct audiobooks, and now everybody oh, has yeah. a home studio, so nobody uses directors anymore. So I had just nothing going on. And Arrow acquired us and said, "Oh, we'd like to do some uh, some some you know special features." And I was like, "Yeah, no, I got I got you." Like because yeah. I'm a big I mean, as you can see, I'm a big physical media guy, and it annoys me so much when I like pick up a disc and you turn, you know, flip to the back cover and it's like special features, the movie in 1080p yeah. and the trailer, you're like, yeah, barely anything count. on it. And it's like yeah. 20 bucks. Like this isn't even worth it. Might as well just rent it. You know? Right. So I wanted to make something like, I, you know, I want, and I, I oversaw design and everything. Like I, I found uh, uh sister Hyde who did the, the art and it was just awesome, like, you want to make a, art cover thank you you want to make a cover design that like stands out on the shelf and then if you can get somebody to pick it up and look at the back then it's like and i want enough stuff that they like (laughs) all right like if i've never heard of this movie like this looks interesting like it's just it's that kind of thing because i've had that experience so much it's like yeah i just want to like hook somebody who has no idea what they're and sell them on it (laughs) yeah yeah 
And now that you're on Shutter too, I know that's probably like another big like wow. I can't believe that happened. But I think oh my god, like we were yeah. saying, how you know, I think that some of these streaming services are starting to you know kind of um, be buddy buddy with some of these physical media um, outlets. I think it's it's a good thing for the industry right now. Yeah, um, I mean, you I would know, love Arrow... to see see this on the big screen too. But I mean, watching it in my home and and stuff like that is, is awesome. I've gotten to see it in a, a couple theaters, and it's always pretty amazing. Um, oh yeah, but like. Shutter has brought a ton of eyes to it, but Arrow Player, which is Arrow's streaming service, yeah. uh, you know, they actually have a lot of special features on the streaming service of their releases. So, like Threshold has their uh, behind-the-scenes documentary on yeah, there. Yeah, that's a you have great movie. Oh my god, and it's all shot on an iPhone too. Like, damn, yep. do anything. See, so you guys yeah. do anything. <laughs> yeah, you know, and and it is just like I think they're they are starting to have a much more um copacetic relationship yeah. between the streamers like and i just got this one too the stylist oh on, nice on jill's movie yes. yeah we just talked i talked to her a couple of weeks ago too and that's on shutter so it's like you're in you're in a great yep. family right now of a bunch of really good films um so it, it's awesome to see that these films that um have may have came out a couple of years ago but are starting to kind of resurface um yeah. like yours came out technically in 2020 correct I I mean it had its world premiere and like festival premieres in 2020. It was released in 2021, but we get called a 2020 movie, so Yeah. And now it's okay. on Shudder and then everybody's like, Oh, it's 2022. I'm just like, no, not really. And that's kinda of like what <laughs> happened with the stylist too, because I was like, What year did this actually come out? She's like, eh, whatever you want to say. Right. Because there's yeah. been so many different releases. So um it, it's kind of crazy that that's happening now that people can't really find like a, an actual answer for something. But hey, there's so many ways for you to watch these movies. Um, yeah. Just get all of the options you can. And that's what I'm doing. <laughs> when, like, when we hit Shutter, it was really cool because, like, people would, you know, people were watching it and I would get really lovely messages from people on social media about it. Um, and then, again, like, it's a tiny movie that mm-hmm. I, I was making for very personal reasons. And so I was never really worried about the legs that it would have. And uh, when it hit, uh, when it was released, we got we had a four star review in the Guardian, which I was awesome. very surprised by. Um, when we we've won awards, and I, I was just like, I, that none of this is making sense. And then <laughs> when we hit Shutter, we were actually included. Uh, the New York Times has a monthly column of the five horror movies to stream right now, and we we were included in that. That's and awesome. so I was just out at lunch one day, and I get a message from a cloud. And it has the link to the Times, just like, oh my God, we're in the New York Times. Like <laughs> <clears throat> it's it's insane that that like any of this is happening. <laughs> and, uh, this goes to show all your hard work, you know, paid off. Yeah. People are loving it. And I love it. Aaron likes it. Um I I um when it came out, there was actually somebody else that I was talking to about this in in our DMs before I think I reached out to you. And I'm like, this movie is freaking great i'm like it is and i was like hmm, maybe i should just reach out to adam and see you want to come on and you're like yeah let's do it <laughs> so it's, it's always awesome when that stuff happens um because sometimes you no know, people can be a little difficult but for the most part all the people that we've had on the show have been so like, upbeat and just like you you just know so humble and... yeah so it's awesome to be able to, to take the time away and uh talk to all these awesome people in the industry so i really do I... thank you adam I think you like, I think it's really cool to be able to talk about this with people um, and to hear other people's interpretations of it. But like, I, you know, the movie is dedicated to those who make us feel less alone. And I felt, I, I, I felt so alone when I went, you know, when I was making it or before I made it, that this was really kind of a desperate act to see if I was as alone as I felt. So by, by making this, I, I now know that I am not alone. I hear from people <laughs> and I get to do, I get to talk to you guys, people like you. And it's, it's really nice because like, I, I know, like, I don't feel alone anymore, but then I think because we were able to be very vulnerable and open with this, like it's having the legacy that I hoped for, which is that I'm hearing from people who say, I'm going to throw this on when I'm feeling alone or down or whatever. Like I'm going to, I'm going to throw this on when I need a hug. 
that, that's the best thing I could hear. Like that's that's what I want is for this movie to be a hug for those who need it. That's awesome. Man. Like a com- comfort zone almost. Yeah. You know, something they mm-hmm. go do and that's awesome. And you put a piece of you into it too, you know, like yep. so. So it's uh, awesome. Yeah. I think that's all the questions that we have um at this point as well. Um I know you were kind of um, talking about what you might have in the works, which I'm very, very excited to see if it comes to fruition. And um, I really hope it does because I, I want to see more of your work and uh, kind of get in your head a little bit more uh, on, a, on a different spectrum instead of uh, you know being down. I want to see a, a happy Adam and, mm-hmm. and you know crazy things happening in your film that are even more crazier than what happened in this one because there is some crazy stuff that happens in the ghost waits and uh, if yeah. you haven't seen this movie go stream it on shutter buy the physical um wherever you need to do go stream it on on arrows video um service there's a lot of options out there to watch a ghost waits and um, i'm very very excited for your future thank you very much it it's on it th- this is like christmas just getting to like talk with people that like it resonated with and um the fact that you guys wanted to the fact that you guys wanted to talk about it because again it's such a small movie like mm-hmm. you're not ever guaranteed that so you know we we had we i mean we did a lot of press but like definitely you know it, it's not like we're not going on late night shows and stuff like that. You yeah. don't have that whole apparatus. Um, so it, it really means a lot that you reached out and wanted to talk about it. Awesome. And you know, you're, you're welcome on the show at any point. I was throws to our guests, regardless of what they're doing is if you ever want to come on and talk about a movie, uh, we're always doing movie reviews or if you just want to come on and just, just talk about anything. You, you're part of the family now. And um, I'm, I'm very, very happy to uh, have spent some time and get to know you a little bit better, even though Absolutely. it's not, face to face um right. maybe one day if we ever get an actual like spot <laughs> to do this that's not in a room in my apartment that would be awesome to do you know in person um interviews and stuff but yeah, yeah was, maybe one day we time. can get mcleod on here as well oh that would be <laughs> awesome hell yeah hell yeah we can always get that planned yeah but, um is there anything you want to throw out there yeah um so that people know about uh you know, you can follow us. Uh, McLeod and I are both on Twitter. I'm at uh, Adam Stovall. He's at McLeod Andrews. I think we're both on Instagram. I'm not Adam S. He's Brass Wall. Uh, the movie has its own web. Uh, you can go to ghostweights.com. Um, the movie has a Twitter as well. Uh, yes. Yeah. Like, yeah, you know, it's the. I, I hope people check it out. I hope they like it. Um, and if they if they feel like they want to reach out, feel free. We're both pretty responsive people. Um, I've had to hide my social media just for like mental health stuff, mm-hmm. but I still get there. like yeah. Every now and then you kind of check in. And you're like, oh, this is nice, but then put it away again. Yep. Um, yeah. Especially this week. <laughs> I was like, oh, I don't yeah. want to go anywhere yeah. near no. anything. <laughs> no. uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, like I I hope people check it out. I hope that you know they feel. Um, if, if they would like to reach out to us, please do. Um, because I like, yeah, like making this, I, do you guys know um, Neutral Milk Hotel, the band Neutral Milk Hotel? Uh, uh, I'm not 100% sure. So they, they have an album in the aeroplane over the sea that was always kind of my reference point for this because it's a very lo-fi album, but it's beautiful because it's so heartfelt. And there's this one song on there that's like six and a half minutes long. And it was meant to be recorded in two takes and stitched together. But the guy ended up actually getting it all in one. Oh, wow. And if you're listening, especially in headphones, as he's getting done, you can just hear somebody off go, holy shit it's because they're in the studio and they just can't believe what they saw and they left it on the album it, made, awesome. it makes me so happy so it was like you know we i kind of wanted to like both make something to see if i could but also kind of make a thing that would empower someone like me who wants to make a movie but doesn't know how to get there like doesn't come from any sort of access or you know does or money or any of that stuff like like how do you make your punk band's first album? Like that's, that was the the approach with this. So, you know, I hope that it works for people. And like, yeah, if, if there, if anybody ever wants to reach out um, a ghost, a ghost waits at gmail.com 
is a good, you know, you can email us, but yeah, like we're around and I hope that you guys dig it. And again, thank you all very much for, for having me on. Well, yeah. Thank you for coming. And I'll put all of the, um, all those links and, and um, emails and stuff on in the description for anybody who wants to, uh, you know, check you out or, or reach out to you. But Adam, thank you so much for spending some time and uh, talking about this awesome movie. It was great. Thanks. I look forward to doing it again sometime. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, this was the Baron's Hideout Podcast. I was your host, Dustin. I was your co-host, Aaron. And I was Adam Stovall, the director and writer of It Ghost Waits. Please Goodbye. go support this film. <laughs> <Goodbye>. <laughs> we'll see you guys later. Thank you.